broadcasting from the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It's time for Kick Set with USA Swimming, bringing you interviews with athletes, coaches, and experts from age group swimming to the national and Olympic teams. Hello, and welcome to the Kick Set podcast. I am your host, Dan McCarthy. Hope everybody has been doing well. Everybody's been safe. I hope your return to swim has been successful. Uh, some information for you before we get to today's podcast. The Speedo Swims Again virtual series. Um, if you've been doing virtual competitions, you might be familiar with this, but there is information on our website uh, right when you go to usaswimming.org. Right there, no need to scroll down. You'll have information against the about the virtual uh, series sponsored by Speedo. If you do scroll down a little bit, you can find all kinds of good links from the convention that was held. Uh, it was held virtually. And uh, there's videos up there from the keynote speaker, our CEO, Tim Hinchies, his, uh, his address to, uh, to everybody in USA Swimming, the state of the sport. That is up there as well. If you're somebody that's never had the opportunity to attend the convention or you're just interested in how things work, the, there is uh, lots of videos for you to, to peruse through and you might find something interesting, uh, kind of like almost a behind the scenes of how USA Swimming uh, runs itself and what gets done every year whenever the convention is held. There's also a couple programs I want to make sure that you're aware of. Um, the National Leaderboard launched on October 1st, and this is a really cool little interactive thing that we put together. Um, kudos to all the people at USA Swimming that worked on this. Um, it has a number of uh, filters, and you can sort the information so that you can see um, who's leading in every event, um, male, female, and, uh, and uh, by event in uh, the different courses of the pool. It's really cool. And we're going to be running this at least until the end of December. Um, and right now it has the October leaderboard available for you to, uh, to play with and look at. Also, we have two events up on the website as well. Uh, the Toyota U.S. Open and the 18 and under winter championships. There are links to both of those. Uh, for information, the U.S. Open is scheduled for November 12th to 14th, and the 18 and under winter championships is scheduled for December 1st to 13th. Uh, the wide range of dates there is so that it can be held at, uh, at different sites. The Toyota U.S. Open will be held at multiple sites as well. Um, right now, there is some information up there, but you know, keep checking as we update the information and, and links, um, you'll be able to, to make your plans for those events. Today's podcast is a really, uh, turned out to be a really super special podcast. I had a chance to spend some time with Coach Emmanuel Lonzo of the uh, Ridgefield Aquatic Club. Um, Coach Lonzo is a native of Puerto Rico. And we had an excellent opportunity to talk about the history of Puerto Rico, his upbringing there, some of the tragedies they've, uh, they've experienced there, Hurricane Hugo and Hurricane Maria. And then we really you know, dove into his personal journey from, from working on the island to how he made it to Connecticut 
and became an extremely successful coach at Ridgefield. I hope you enjoy this podcast. I really, I, I loved having this conversation with Coach Lonzo, um, and uh, it's 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 full of all kinds of interesting things. So, uh, have a listen. Hello, Coach. How you doing today? I'm doing fine. A little little wet. It's raining outside. It's 50 degrees, and I've been seven years here in Connecticut. I still don't get used to it, but you know, well, sounds similar to what we have here. Um, uh, Emmanuel. Do you uh, do you go by any different name, or is that fine for me to call you? That? Okay, Emmanuel. Yeah. All right, that's great. So uh, let's start off here. I have a, a lot of stuff I want to get to uh, talking with you, but first of all, how how has the the summer gone? How has your team adapted to the COVID situation? How was quarantine? You know. Well, I will say I will say that um, the the first adjustment was to keep everyone active, you know. And um, thank you to USA Swimming letting us use the the Zooms. I think mm-hmm. that was that was another adjustment because it was crazy at the beginning. I'm not, I'm telling you, I went through some like like spam calls and some people saying like weird things, and it was embarrassing because it was the first ever Zoom workout and somebody asked it was like oh sorry coach and then this is the most meaningful most nasty thing and i canceled the workout like immediately canceled the workout it took me almost like two weeks to actually go back and understand like the how to actually run a workout with a password and all the stuff but we were able to run uh, a zoom fitness workout every day almost every day through the pandemic. So that was fun. I think that was fine. And uh, it evolved through the through the um, pandemic. We have different workouts with different ages. We did many activities um, and it was cool. It was cool. We were able even to do um, parents meetings and it was cool. We did like, uh, like, um, like a 9 p.m. call. And it was funny because everyone has their drink and we can talk about and <laughs> vent it out and see how, how, they were saying like, man, well, I don't know how you deal with these kids. I'm like, these, these are your kids. You are the one that needs to deal with them. So I think it was it was pretty cool to actually being physically disconnected. We were able to actually connect with the families. And I think that was that was really good. We we took something really good from the from the situation. But once we were able to go back in the water, we faced it out. We started with a phase one where we have one kid per lane and then we'll build it up into what we have right now when we have um, cohorts and we have something we call carpool cohorts where you know some of these families are very close and we're able to have some kind of normalcy um, when we can have probably like two or three kids we don't have big cohorts but we're we're being able to have almost a full squat in the water um, you know, Connecticut is very low in cases, so we mm-hmm. were able to um, be able to manage to have most of the squats in the water. All right. So now that you're, I'm in the Northeast as well, and everybody's definitely moved indoors at this point, um, relatively close to normal or getting there? Well, relatively, um, we have to keep the doors, the sliding doors open, mm-hmm. so the air flows. 
Uh, one of the parents came with the idea of putting a heater. So we have a heater that blows hot air into the building. So it keeps the building warm, especially for the younger kids. Um, we still have, we still have to be here all day. Because uh, um, we have groups, we have big groups, but not allowing to have more than a certain amount of kids. One workout, one hour becomes two hours and a half. So yeah. we have to have half of the team in one hour, then the other half. Uh, we have some of the kids coming in the mornings every day. Um, even the younger kids, we have some some 10 and unders coming at 7 to 7.30. Um, we have a lot of kids doing homeschooling. So they, this, needs to kids, this kid needs to be like in a different hour, uh, but we're fine. I think all the families, uh, they jump into the bandwagon and, and make sure they understand that it is a sacrifice that is worth to take. I feel like keeping the kids in the water keeps the family sane. Right. Well, kudos to you for, you know, checking all the boxes, keeping the kids safe, but keeping the program up and running. Thank you. So uh, we are halfway through Hispanic Heritage Month. And <laughs> this is a huge group of people. Whatever you look at, like what falls under Hispanic Heritage, like half of the Southern Hemisphere, uh, Central America, uh, the Caribbean nations. I mean, I feel like we could have a couple Hispanic Heritage Months with the number of people here. Yes. Uh, but you are a native of Puerto Rico. Yes, I'm from Puerto Rico. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, educated in Puerto Rico, the University of Puerto Rico in the Rio Piedras uh, recent is the biggest university in the Caribbean, has around 5,000 students. At least I remember when I was in college, it, it's huge. There's a lot of people. Um, there's a lot of great programs. A lot of these programs has a like, very uh, strong connections with college in United States. Um, and I'm, I'm very proud of, of my education there. Um, and Puerto Rico is really unique in that it's part of this huge global community, but it's a part of the United States. Yes, so Puerto Rico is a, is a territory. Um, and we are born and raised U.S. citizens. Um, I always say, if you go to, if you're in Florida, you take a look at what Florida looks like, just imagine Florida with, with forest, you know, and mountains. <laughs> and there's a lot of traffic. There's a lot of uh, shopping malls. You know, it's a, it's a big island. Uh, one of the things people don't know, even if it's 100 miles per 35, my, one of my older brothers, he used to say, you know that if you stretch the island, like the land, if you stretch the land, it's so huge, you can cover the whole Caribbean Sea. I don't know if it's true, <laughs> but I always believe that. Because if you go from east to west, if you go from Fajardo to Maya West, if you cross the island by the middle, it takes almost like 12 hours driving. So it's a huge island, even if it's like small when you see it on the map. Right. Um, there is... There is a lot of universities and colleges. At least my university has plenty different locations in the island. And one of the biggest locations is on the west side where the big swim meets happens in the University of uh, Puerto Rico, Maya West Resident. So it's, it's huge. It's a big island. And um, 
there's a lot of things to do there, not just the the the, the traditional tourist thing, you know. Um, and there's a lot of other like pharmacies. Most of a lot of the products that we have in our in our um, bathrooms, like medicines and all the stuff, a lot of those things comes from pharmacies in in Rico. And that's just one little thing of all the many things. Okay, you mentioned your brother, so you still have lots of family in Puerto Rico. So, so my my dad has two previous marriages, and my my I have two older brothers. One is uh, one is uh, he's in the in the front with the COVID nineteen in Florida right now. The okay. other one is a cougar, and and um yeah he he loves to cook, and that's one of the things that we enjoy the most back home. So yeah, um, I have some family there. Uh, my my I have two aunts that are living in Puerto Rico. I have another two. One lives in Boston, and one lives in in Florida. Okay. Um, Puerto Rico has some pretty rich traditions. And I'm not going to say rich, you know, Connecticut doesn't necessarily reflect the Puerto Rican heritage, but have you been able to bring some traditions uh, north with you? Well, actually, no, I, I don't know. I feel <laughs> like I'm, I, am, I am very into Puerto Rican things, but I feel that my, my transition into Connecticut Make me feel that there's other there's other things out there. You have Puerto Ricans that are born and raised in Puerto Rico. You have the different generations of Puerto Ricans that has been coming into U.S. And a lot of people are way more proud of their Puerto Rican pride here than in the island. Okay. Uh, one one I came once that I came here. I remember my first my first trip to the uh, Puerto Rican national parade and it, it was shocking it was shocking for me i was like hold on uh, how much is this actually a puerto rican thing but <laughs> remember these these um traditional things have different generations okay like I'm, I'm 40 years old and you can see a lot of the things that happens in the puerto rican parade are are older than my generation and and i get to connect actually 50, 40, 50 years old of traditions in, in just one parade. Of course, I, I was concerned of all the things that were, hold on, this is not, this is not Puerto Rican. But like I say, uh, first generation Puerto Rican is a very proud Puerto Rican, second generation Puerto Rican. I'm going to tell you a very funny story. Um, when I got out of the train, and I see all the flags and I'm telling you, give, it, it give me goosebumps when you see all this thing. And, and I start talking in Spanish to a person. The person goes, I'm sorry, I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, all right, gotcha. Yeah, he goes, hey, well, my grandpa, I go, all right, gotcha, you're second generation. But he was like, I'm fine. You can talk to me in Spanish. I'm going to be able to understand what you said but i have no words in spanish i feel embarrassed to say anything in spanish so so it was a it was a it was a shock for me to understand all right now i know where i am and um it was a beautiful thing listening to traditional music um like uh like some like vols and and salsa you know i'm more from from a different generation I come from the hip hop. I come from the, yeah. you know, electronic music and like more, more um, English music, 
not not a really strong uh, foundation in Spanish music, but there's all the there's all the things that dominate the scene back when I was in Puerto Rico, like Dominican merengue and Puerto Rican merengue. So even if you were in Puerto Rico, you have all these influence, all these American music, like 70s rock. I love 70s rock. <laughs> I love 80s rock. You have to see when I run my workouts, you know, ACDC and, and like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is the kind of music you listen when you're, when you're in a workout. So Puerto Rico is very rich coming from different points of view from music. But we have an influence in the people that are out of the island. Like once you once you are far from the island, you feel even more Puerto Rican. Hmm. That actually, I can relate to that because I was surprised to learn how uh, the people of Ireland had no concept of what a big deal St. Patrick's Day was until they saw it in America. And now they have St. Patrick's Day celebrations in Ireland because the tourists will come over for it. They didn't care until it was a, so it sounds very similar. Yeah, it's funny because one of the things, um, at least in this area that is very big and it's a, it's a Latino thing. And I think everyone celebrates is a Cinco de Mayo. And every, I remember my first Cinco de Mayo, the kids were like, Emmanuel, are you excited for the Cinco de Mayo? I'm like, <laughs> what is that? So then I noticed, you know, like how, how our, our country celebrates everyone that comes in and at least have a day that everyone can express their love for, for their heritage, mm -hmm. you know? And I appreciate, I enjoy a lot of my area because there's Indians, there's, there's Middle Easterns, there's Asians, and you can actually celebrate everything like it's, it's your own. Right. And I enjoy it a lot. I really enjoy it, especially with my community so diverse. It's really good to, to understand the community, understand the heritage and respect it. Um, I remember having a lot of issues. My first, I think it was my second Christmas, I put a Christmas tree in the pool. And some of the people were like, Emmanuel, what about this? And what about that? I was like, I, I didn't know there was all the things happening in Christmas. <laughs> so it, it is a very rich experience. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, unfortunately, we still are dealing with Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know as much about what went on there as you would. But how are things? They they can't be normal yet. So so I don't keep a connection with with the needs right now. I think that at the beginning, yes. Um, I think even if you have the experience of going through hurricanes, probably in my lifetime there, I lived there for 33 years. I don't know, maybe 15, 20 hurricanes. Wow. I think in, in 1989 was the Hurricane Hugo. Mm -hmm. And um, at least my town was was uh, very affected. We, we didn't have power for almost like six months. We didn't have water, like, uh, like to drink water for almost like two weeks. It was, it was terrible. We have people going in jet skates back and forth because my town has two rivers and the rivers connected so my town became an island and wow. all the cattle that was that was in in those lands drowned so the smell of 
of the cattle and like all those things were very traumatic. I was nine years old at that point. And I remember um, carrying um, like fishing, like to eat, you have to go and fish. And of course, your parents channel all this as an adventure and I, I appreciate everything that went through it. But now that I see it uh, older, I go, wow, that was hard. When I talk to the people that went to that went through both, they say, Mano, Hurricane U was nothing compared to what we went to, to Hurricane Maria. And things are not going to get better unless we do something globally. These hurricanes are, are getting stronger. They're getting hotter. They're getting, you know, they, they're lasting forever. They're moving slower. So they know that in the future, something worse is going to come. So I feel like the, the, the help the, the, the community needs is to understand what we need to do before we face another monstrosity like that one. Right. I think that's what we need to move on. Is there, are there any organizations that you worked with or any that you recommend? Somebody hears this podcast and is like, man, I still would like to help. Well, actually, if anyone actually wants to help, reach out to me and I will do the, I will do the research. Actually, okay. I have nobody that I can say, call this number, reach out to this number. But when my help went straight to the people that I knew that were in help, right. me and my wife, we have many friends, college friends, families, ex-swimmers, and we reach out to them one by one and trying to figure out how can we help them. Right now, I feel that the people that we reach out to them, they're in a good path. But mentally, you know, there's a trauma. There is, there is um, conversations that needs to happen. You know, I mean, government level, like conversations that needs to happen, planning that needs to happen. Because we're not going to be able to move the island left and right to, to dodge anything that comes through. So that's, that's the conversation we need to have. Like, how can we educate people and, hey, gloves, gloves off, we're ready to fight this year. Right. Well, not to continue the topic of tragedy, although this, there's a good part to this story. Um, I don't know if you're aware, but... Uh, Roberto Clemente is revered in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, he has his own museum. The bridge that goes to the new PNC Park is named after him. Um, kids grow up hearing stories about Roberto Clemente in Pittsburgh. My son has a, a number 21 Pirates jersey. Um, even though the Pirates were not exceptional at baseball this year, they, <laughs> on, on Roberto Clemente Day, uh, they all wore the number 21 for the game. And you see, I'm wearing the retired 21 shirt because I want to see Roberto get the same respect that, you know, that, you know, like Jackie Robinson got where, you know, the whole league wears his Jersey and nobody wears 42 anymore. I think the same thing should happen with 21. So Roberto Clemente is, if there's a, uh, a city figure in Pittsburgh that goes across multiple generations is Roberto Clemente. I have never had the opportunity to talk to somebody from Puerto Rico about Roberto Clemente, per, you know, directly like you and I are, and to hear about his influence there. 
Well, let me tell you a couple of things. Uh, the first cool, I'm going to tell you all the cool things, how things related to Robert implemented to my life. And it's huge. The first thing, my assistant coach, her last name is Clemente. Oh. So, and she was my swimmer. She was my captain. Right now, she's my right hand in my team right now. And she's related to Roberta Clement to some extent. Two, uh, one of my assistant coaches, Graham Bodner, he's now in Berkeley Aquatics. He is from Pittsburgh. And um, <laughs> he was my assistant coach for three years. And I, I got to understand what Roberta Clemente is for the city of Pittsburgh through him. Okay. Um, now, the cool thing, my, my, my motto, my, everything that I have from swimming came from, from Roberto Clemente. How does this happen? So when I went to college in, in 1997, one of my teachers uh, was the head coach from a, from a little swim team Four lanes pool in the Roberto Clemente Sports City in Carolina, Puerto Rico. And that was my first job. So my first job was as a lifeguard in the Roberto Clemente Sports City. Um, once I am in the Roberto Clemente Sports City, I get to understand the background of the story. There's a museum there. And I'm trying to understand the how, how Roberto Clemente impacted the baseball community and the, and the Puerto Rican community. I worked there for five years. So my first coaching job, once that coach left, my first head coach position in a swim team in a baseball camp was at the Roberto Clemente Sports City. My first champion in a 50 fly in a, in a Puerto Rico national championship was through that Roberto Clemente swim team. So that was my first job. Okay. Um, in the process, um, that's when, when the, the, the whole thing fell apart and you, you might know all the stories with the family and all this stuff. And I ended up next door team they closed the pool, they closed the facility, but I kept my swimmers and we merged into a uh, next door swim team. But I carry with me everything that I, that I love about the family, about the tradition. Then I, when I finished college, I ended up working at the Puerto Rico Baseball Academy. And that was my first full-time job where I used to teach baseball players how to swim so that was my that's the coolest part in having that background understanding how important it was you go well a baseball player needs to needs to swim well think about a millionaire that has a pool in their backyard and drown so it was very important for them to understand too what we built into the Puerto Rico Baseball Academy was for these kids to understand there is a way to rehab. There is a way to build your aerobic um, capacity through swimming. Mm -hmm. So we have swimmers. We have a swim team in the Puerto Rico Baseball Academy. And you need to understand every kid dream is to get to the Roberto Clemente level. 
one of these kids, one of these kids, I forget his his name, is his last name. He's actually the catcher from the uh, Red Sox. Um, what's his name? Is it Bellis? That's one of the kids right now. We still, I still remember this little kid, and he's in Major League. He's the catcher from the Red Sox right now. And he always talked about that, like he wants to get to the Roberto Clemente level. And you need to understand, not many people are going to get there because it takes more than just being outstanding in the field. Um, now that I'm old, now that I'm in, in, in mainland, now that I'm here, I, I understand all the things that uh, a Black, Afro-Caribbean, as, as I am, needs to go through. And I can't think all the, the things that Roberto Clemente went through as an as a Afro-Caribbean. And, and I've been exposed to every single shade of racism. And, and I'm telling you, I, I feel bad saying this, but, you know, if, if Roberto Clemente went through, you're not, you're not Black enough. Mm. You're not white enough. Yeah. Um, being in a sport that is dominated by other Caribbean countries, you're not Dominican enough. You're not Venezuelan enough. So, and even for Puerto Ricans, you know, you're not, you're not, your skin is not white enough. So I can't believe what he went through to actually uh, put a face out there for an Afro-Caribbean like me and others and understand it is possible. It is possible, my friend. People will not, people will go above and beyond on your looks and understand how much you can achieve as a team, how people can accept you, accept you regardless of, of your looks or where you come from, and how much you can put together for everybody else around you. And I'm telling you, probably I can do whatever. I can try my best. And I just feel like I will never get to what Roberto Clemente did. But he opened the path for us and make us believe that a lot of things can happen. With a broken English, with you call it, you know, he <laughs> was able to, you know, break all these boundaries and, and open the path for anyone that wants to be as great as he, he was. So I'm very thankful for what he did and, and Vera Clemente did for me because Vera, I'm telling you, with those five years, that woman, man, I'm not, I can't even tell with words what Vera Clemente was for, for us, for us, for the swim team. And, and I appreciate all the help. She was part of my foundation and, and I, I live my life thankful for her. Wonderful. If you ever make it to Pittsburgh, please let me know. And I will personally take you on a tour of all of Roberto's stuff here. It'll take a day and a half. I think Graham, Graham will be jealous because <laughs> he was always, man, when are you going to come and visit? You don't know what you're talking about. I need to take you there. Blah, blah, blah. But yes, I, I would love to. I would love to. 100%. Okay. All right. It's a date. Um, well, you talked a lot about, like, you know, working at the Clemente School, uh, at the, the, the Roberto Clemente baseball. And you were a school teacher for a little bit as well. 
Yes. So in the Puerto Rico Baseball Academy, in the mornings, I used to do the strength conditioning part, two, two, two days in the pool, three days in the track and field. And then in the afternoons, I was a, I was a teacher. I was an English teacher and a U.S. history teacher for the baseball players. <laughs> I'm telling you, laugh at it because I'm telling you, I have a lot of fun. These kids were tired of my own workout and they, they need to listen to me in the afternoon about English and U.S. history. It was hilarious, man. <laughs> like you can talk to any person. I was trying to find ways to actually get them engaged. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, we, we turned the class into uh, a theater. They will need to perform as different presidents and i'll tell you man it was it was fun it was it was a joke half the time trying to keep these kids awake and interest you know right. when, when you have a, a 10 grader that that pitch 95 miles per hour and it's six two you know he's gonna be in major leagues what he cares about his history and i was like the conversation starter. Everything is all about being part of a conversation. Is it different between being a moron and ignorant and <laughs> being a person that says, oh, I know about that. And then there will be, what do you know about that? That will, that will be a game changer. When you can be part of a conversation, they know that you are making the difference. You're making a difference. You're being part of the community. But once you know, at least you go, yeah, I heard about that. And you can, you know, abhor, you can, you can share some thoughts. Even if you say, oh, I have a crazy teacher back in the time that used <laughs> to bring, um, he used to put us in like dress, like precedents and all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, at least you were part of the conversation. So that put you in a situation of being a smart kid and not just a talented kid. Yes, you're talented, but you're a human being. You have a background. You're smart. So, yes, that was part of it, man. And it lasts probably, I think it was like three years. But then after that, I was like, well, I finished a bachelor's degree in physical education. And I'm, I'm in the process of a master's degree in sport training. I really want to be in the classroom. Then I moved to work in a private school, in the St. Mary School. And um, I was a PE teacher there. Okay. And they give me, uh, they give me, uh, they put in my hands to change the whole system, trying to bring the 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 activity, physical fitness, to kids that don't want to do anything. And and I'm telling you, the all the staff was behind me. We were able to create uh, a PE class that have different branches. In one single class, we have what thirty kids, and they need to pick. There was. A fitness path, we build a gym and all these kids, they will, they will do strength tests and they will um, have their routines by day. So they will be bodybuilders. Okay. And we have a branch that was sports and that, that branch has two different ways. One, that you learn the rules, that you are um, a referee, because not everyone can do exercise. You might have a couple kids that cannot do any exercise physical activity, they will learn how to be officials or referees and they will learn. And then we will have the kids that just want to do sports. And you know, these kids will play. They will, you were, you're giving me, you're giving me an A for playing basketball? Yep. Yes. Yes. 
And I'm giving you, and I'm giving an A for the ones that wants to be officials and referees. And you know, there's kids that don't want to do physical fitness. They don't want to do anything but dance. And I'm telling you, we put a TV, we have Dance Dance Revolution, <laughs> and they will dance. Simple as that. And then they will learn, they will put together uh, dance routines. And man, that was that was fun. That was a lot of fun. That's That's amazing. And so how did you end up in Connecticut? It's on. This is the, this is the, this is the dark, the darkness of my life. And and I'm telling you, I'm going to give you short story. Um, So in 2010, uh, we were, I was doing fine. I was, everything was fine. I was part of the national team. Actually, one of the national records still remains from, from that 2010. Then 2011, my sister passed away. Actually, was murdered. Oh, geez. And, um, and she has a two-year-old girl, a four-year-old girl, and a five-year-old girl. So me and my wife, we don't have kids. We decide not to have kids. And we go from zero kids to three kids. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And... and even if I'm telling you, I am, I believe in God and I, I feel like everything works for a reason that shake me a lot, man. Yeah. That, that shake, that shakes me. It still does. And I'm telling you, fast forward, they just moved with me recently, a couple of weeks ago. So they're here in Connecticut, but going back to 2010, 2011, it was, it was a tragedy. It was really hard. And and I managed probably like two years to put it together. You know what I'm saying? I have all these jobs, but no family time. And I struggled mentally and, and I struggle and it was hard. And like in the outside, I, I make, I looked like everything was fine. But in the inside, I was praying for a change. I needed, I needed to to start over, I needed to be in an, an environment that makes me feel that, all right, this is something I want to do. So in the process, um, I have a family from Richfield that went to Puerto Rico on vacations. They looked for a pool because they have the, so they were on vacation that week, the Maccabee Games, now I know what the Maccabee Games yeah. are. <laughs> Um, the Maccabee games were the week the week after. So these kids needed to train, but they, they weren't on vacation. They come to my pool, they train, they loved it. They loved the training. Actually, I teach all my workouts when they were in the pool in English. So that was really cool. And it was cool for them. They were like, man, like, how come you can speak no English? And everybody understands English. They're like, listen, everybody understands English. <laughs> you have to take English from pre-K to the last day you go to school, even in a master's degree. You have to. And um, it was fun for them. And it, they saw different types of training. We have what we call the amphibious training. They swim. They get out. They do. They live. They go in. They swim. Vertical kick. Um, they do bands. And all this stuff were new for them. I know this has been there out there. It's been out there forever. But it was, like, brand new for them. Anyway, that summer, I'm mentally breaking down, and I ask all the jobs that I work to. I need, I need a week off. I need, I need to disconnect. So I talk to my wife, and we go like, 
where you want to go. Just let's get out of here. Let's let's shut down, leave the phone, get in the airplane, go somewhere. She goes like, I don't think about leaving the phone, but yes, let's go. <laughs> let's go to New York City. Let's go for vacation for the city. And we book a full week of museums and walking. And then we were like, let's say two weeks. So we decide to go off for vacation. I lost, I have four jobs at that point. I lost two jobs uh, and all my personal trainers. And it was worth it. It was worth it. So in the process, um, I think by the third day we were on vacation, we get a call from this guy. It was a parent. He goes, Emmanuel, we have a, uh, we have a position we're looking for a head age group coach. And I'm like, well, I'm in the middle. I don't even know, whatever. I I take, I. he was like, it's in Connecticut. Is where you at? You want to do it like like a, in a phone call? And I'm like, listen, I'm in this city. Is this <laughs> close to Connecticut? He was like, yeah. So get in the train all the way to White Plains and pick you up. And I'm like, well, uh, let me talk to my wife. We are on vacation. She goes like, yeah, you know, we get in the train. We go to Grand Central, take pictures. Then we take the train to White Plains. And, and it was another vacation day. I'm 100%. I'm telling you, I didn't know I would get the job. Two, when he picked me up, he picked me in this nice car, in a Porsche. And he <laughs> drove me to through Greenwich, Connecticut. And, and I see all these houses. And... He's telling me all these stories and, and I see the trees and it's so beautiful and all these lakes. And once we get to the town, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So he put together all the board members in a, in a deli. We're in a deli. We're in the interview and he started talking to me in different ways, like administration stuff and technique, technical stuff and tactical stuff and swim meets. And I was like, listen, last year I have a kid that went to junior world. Like I know the sport. Like it's it's something that this is this is what I love to talk about. This is this is my love about the sport. So they put me in a position that I was like, this is it. And I feel fresh. I was like, I want to do this. So when I signed up, I signed up for a year. I was like, I'm gonna sign up for a year, see how it goes. And here I am. Here I'm are. still here. Yes. And well, you know, there's crazy stuff happened since. <laughs> I met I met Kieran Smith. Um, and I'm telling you, he's been a blessing to my life. Um, I met all these wonderful parents that um helped me to grow grow in the sport, all these mentors, um, all these people in USA swimming that that know my story and they reach out without even without me asking. And and all the diversity came and I'm telling you, man, I, I'm I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Hundred percent blessed. Yes. Found a home here. Yes. That's that, that is amazing. I'm sorry it started with such a tragedy, but you seem to have a knack for turning uh, unfortunate things into opportunities or good things happen to good people, something like that, right? Yes, and I think is is all related to um, you know the way we were born and raised, my town, and everything that is around. Um, you know, hurricanes and all struggle, and and I relate to. You know, how do you achieve 
um, success in the sport if it's not through struggle. You know, every workout is intended for you to test your mind, not physically. You know, you need to get involved your soul. You need to understand that everything that you go through, you know, will make you stronger. And it, it's like I always say to my kid, what doesn't tries with what doesn't kills you tries again, you know, <laughs> tries again. And we'll keep trying until you're not a threat to them. You know, what, what doesn't kill you make you stronger immediately, but it will, it, will, it will grow some strength in the other side. And it's not about being, you know, in a situation that you're paranoid, you know, but when you can manage to understand your own demons, start with your own thoughts. You understand how... They, where they come from and why they come from, you're going to be able to create some tools that will help you manage the, the process. And you know, not understand, everyone talks about process, but what is a process if you don't feel that process is forward? There's no reason for you to go a backward process unless you fail. Once mm. you fail, that's when you need to go back and take notes. Well, hold on. All right, I just said my failures. Let me take notes because the path took me to that failure. I'm not here to blame anybody. You know, there was not bad luck. And if it was bad luck, still, there's a path to that bad luck. Something happened. You were not aware of something. Now you have to. And while you stay alive, if you're still alive, there's another chance. There's another chance and you will face something bigger than you over and over and over. That makes sense. It makes sense. Um, Because one of the things I wanted to ask you about was your coaching philosophy, but I don't have to ask you. It's ingrained (laughs) in all. It's ingrained in all your answers. (laughs) Well, well, you know, one of the things is is I feel I feel that this sport, even if if science says this sport is for the few, and I'm telling you, I went through the experience. I have different belief at different parts parts of my life. But once you go to a, a junior worlds, you see it from different perspective. Like when you are standing next to a 15, 16 years old that is seven feet tall, <laughs> man, you know, it is not as hard for them as a five three. Yes, we understand that. But I have a 5'3 in my pool that went two, what, 210, 212 in the 200 breaststroke. Man, you know, there is ways. And I always tell the kids, you guys physically, you're bigger than any fish in the whole sea. <laughs> and you cannot raise a single one of them. You're going to get beaten, even if you're the biggest in the sea. There's ways, there's techniques, there's styles. Your body shape will always slow you down. Your, your movements in the water, even the stroke is meant to have a drag and, and a way to create propulsion against that drag. You just need to be in peace with your shape and understand that everything, every activity that you do, every motion for you in the water needs to be thoughtful. Right? How do I move? through the water that and on my advantage. So all these things, like you said, philosophies of training and all this stuff. But once you go to the work class level, there's a lot of like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, you know, um, 
my experience with Reese Whitley, man, I love Reese. And, and we connect really, really quick, especially with Reese um, head coach, Crystal. And you know, once you are in the environment, you have uh, African-American kid and, the, and his head coach is a woman. And you know all these things are happening in the world and in the environment. You kind of understand each other. Like I'm a I'm an Afro-Latino, you're black, you're a woman. We connected and we were like, yes, there is something going on that is different. But at the same time, you notice, you notice that there is a blessing behind all of that. Mm-hmm. You have all these kids that see risk with you, and you see all these coaches that see Crystal to that level. You see all these Latino coaches that see me and they shake your hand and they smile at you. Like you are the face of hope for other people that that might be the thing that is slowing them down. That makes sense? It makes so sense. Having that experience, but at the same time, you walk next to Reese Whitley in a building like that. Oh my God, man. Like, he sucks the attention and energy, and everyone goes like, wow, look at that. And it's not just because he's an African-American. He's a leader. Yep. You know, and he's humble. And he had all these beautiful things in him. But with the size, the size, it's not his his stature. We're talking about his soul, his energy, his humbleness. You know, you learn from it. You understand what he, this kid has been through, but you understand. And you can, and I can go one by one. I can have a conversation about Michael Andrew, man. You know, a kid that is so successful and so down to earth and having conversation with him. And Michael Andrew's dad, man, amazing person. And knowing that they are on top of a philosophy. They represent almost a religion of training. You know, it's really cool to see it from their point of view, how things work for them and how things might not for some others, but understanding how important the details of the sport. I was like, well, I was amazed how much science is behind the sport because this kid's family. I was like, wait, hold on, what are you doing? What is that? Is that compression? Like what? Yes. And the electricity and all this stuff. Like, listen, I come from swimming five to seven with jeans and shirts and uh, with a bucket, pulling a bucket with a rope. Like, I, I know, I know the principles of painting, but like, I just try to make you as tired as you can. So you understand what is being tired to me. But like, yeah, but like all oh, this science and measuring and the oxygen. And all, it was amazing for me to see the sport from that point of view. So yes, the body is an amazing thing. And understanding that some people have access to the science and some people has access to the knowledge. So many coaches out there, man, you sit down and you talk to Dave Saylor or Greg Troy and wow, you go, wow, what, what's going on on this, on these places and all these pools, what they do, like they're so open. Um, and Michigan coach, um, I forgot his name. Coach um, Bottom or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mike Bottom. Mike Bottom Mike Bottom comes here to visit probably every year. And talking to Mike Bottom and understanding the sport from his point of view, the, the, the mind and the soul, how all these things 
evolve into a body that swims is, is an amazing thing. You can get this sport. So many things. It's not just a medal. It's not about hundred of a second job. It's not a cut. Is is a is a lifestyle. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, however, one of the things we have in common that you don't know about is I worked at the first diversity camp that USA Swimming hosted, and you were a very big part of it most recently. Um, it's. It's an interesting and amazing thing that USA Swimming has managed to put together. Um, it's growing. It's changing. You know, we're able to do different stuff every year. Um, wh- where do you think the camp is headed? What do you think about? Uh, man, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you from my, from my point of view, I was a different coach before that camp. Mm-hmm. A, whole, a whole different person. Uh, I have my, I'm going to be honest, I have my own prejudice about diversity. I feel that at that point, I feel that accentuating, just talking, just talking about it will, will, will keep it happening. We keep talking about black and white and Latino. I was like, can we just behave in a way that we don't remark our difference? But once I understood what is actually going on? Like, I'm in a situation way beyond or advanced. I am in a place that I don't have to prove myself as much as I used to do before. Some other, some other um, towns, um, states, they're a little behind on this. And there is racism and there is all the things out there, even between, there's a there's a competition for the spotlight that is related to race and gender and all this stuff. Some of the things have been recognized. Some of the things that we have moved on as a country. But actually, when you go to a diversity camp, you can notice when you talk to the kids and listen to what they've been through, there's a lot of things out there that are still alive. There's, there's change that needs to happen. That's why we need to call it the way that needs to be called. Because I might be safe. Like I say, I might be safe, but all the kids are not. Yeah. Now, I might be educated. I'm, I Maybe the people around me understand, but on other places, they don't want to. They just don't want to let traditional thoughts go. Some other people, they just want to keep that wall. They want to keep that boundaries. They don't want to mix. They, they just feel that it is not right. It was a law years ago. Yeah. You know, um, and where I come from, I live through it. My town is, is, a, is a black town and I live through it. My mom is dark skinned and my dad it's light skin. And I went through the experience of being a mix. They call me mulatto. And mulatto comes from the word meal. And, and you know the mix of a, of a horse and a donkey is a meal. So in, in, even in Puerto Rico, there's a phrase, there's a racist phrase to call the people that are mixed. So understanding that even if where I am right now is not an issue, at least it's not as strong as other other states. 
Right. I I was humble to understand that, you know, things like USA swimming, like we still need to do camps to get these kids to be the voice, to understand that we need a change and we need to behave like we are a human race. And it's working and I love to be part. And I'm, I'm telling you, I feel, I feel that I will do it every single year if I was allowed to, because I learned so much from every other race. And, and it made me grow. I think that USA Swimming grows understanding what the kids go through. And where it's going right now, it's not just about race. You know, we see all the things that people are being are being affected by. And I think USA Swimming is opening the doors for everyone to feel that we are a family, a community. And I'm very proud to be part of it. Um, recently, I've been helping um, USA Swimming and, and, and tra uh, making introductions. So I'm translating from English to Spanish. We need to understand that learning a language is hard. Yep. It is very hard, but if we have um, we have the tools to provide the knowledge in different languages. Why, why not do it? And I'm very proud to be part of that and understanding that out there is people seeking for knowledge, regardless of what the language they, they, they're good at. I feel like, yes, we need to help them because we want to spread the sport and understand that this sport actually brings what we've been talking about, all these values, all these beautiful things that you can take with you home. And then you can change um, your parents' point of view, you know, and you can see that once you, once you change what's happening right now, in the future, we're going to have peace. And I think everyone talks about peace, but at least peace of mind, understanding, yes, this is better than before. And I want to share that feeling. I feel like where I am right now, this is better than before. Right. And we're moving forward, trying to bring what is better than before. So you mentioned a number of times, uh, you know, that if somebody wanted to reach out to you, um, how would they do that? Uh, Coach Lanzo. Media? Yeah. Okay. Coach Lanzo at Gmail. Yeah. Coach Lanzo at Gmail. I I'm always in my phone. So, um, like through messenger, my, my name, Emmanuel Lanzo on Facebook and yeah, they can reach out to me. Any Twitter or Instagram, anything like that? Well, I have, I have, that's the only thing I have on Facebook. The other thing is just is just work. I mean, you know, the yeah. rack swimming Instagram and but you know, Facebook and my Gmail, yeah, people can reach out, they can call me, you know, and and I would like to have a conversation with anyone. All right. Well, I, I ha had you longer than I thought I would get to, and I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you very much, Dan. And um God bless you and you know, keep doing what you're doing, man. All right. What a, a great conversation we just had with Coach Lonzo. Uh, Manny, um, if you are interested in contacting him, uh, you can visit the team page. It's the Ridgefield Aquatic Club. Uh, he also put his email address out there. It's coachlonzo, L-A-N-Z-O, at gmail.com. Um, if you'd like to send him an inquiry or uh, tell him what you thought about the podcast, that would be great. Um, you can also email me at dmccarthy at usaswimming.org uh, for any thoughts about the podcast as well. Uh, let's see, just a couple items to clean up here. Um, 
if you're interested in reading anything more about Roberto Clemente, um, I know uh, Manny and I spent a lot of time talking about him. Uh, you know, Wikipedia, the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, um, if you're more into the statistical portion of it, uh, baseballreference.com. Um, they're all great resources to learn more about the great one himself. Um, and before I sign off, I highly encourage everybody to go to the uh, usaswimming.org website and uh, click on the leaderboard and play around with it a little bit. It's going to get updated every week through October as more results come in. So like a true leaderboard, it's going to change. It's going to go back and forth um, and it should be a lot of fun. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you get a chance, please give us a rating and a review. I appreciate it. And I look forward to speaking to you all uh, soon. Thanks for listening to Kick Set with USA Swimming. Check out www.usaswimming.org slash kickset for more episodes and add Kick Set to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes.